0: We need to tell a new story about what kind of country, society we need to be creating that, frankly, empowers Black people in this country.
1: Hi, I'm from the Griot. I'm your co-host, Dr. Christina Greer, and today we have a special co-host.
0: Hi, I'm Dorian Warren, president of Community Change, and you're listening
1: to What's In It For Us. Dorian, I'm so excited that you're here. Can... One, I'm a Community Change board member, so I'm super happy. Two, we have some topics that I really want to pick your brain about. First things first, your girl Caitlyn Jenner is running for mm, governor yeah. of California. What in the what we will discuss? <laughs> Two, society's opening up. Everyone's getting shots in their arms. People are waxed and waxed, ready to vacate. However, we have this rise in shootings across the country, which is really troubling to me. And I'm really afraid that we're going to get back to, say, 2020 numbers with these shootings. And three, and this is where I really want to get your expertise, Joe Biden is increasing the social safety net. We're talking over a trillion dollars, but mm-hmm. I still don't know if that's enough. So mm. what say you, Dorian? Not every person who's a celebrity can
0: actually govern what, the sixth largest economy in the world. On the shooting topic, I would just say, um, let's talk also about stopping police from shooting us. Can we talk about that too? Um, three a day, three a day, three a day, police killing people and particularly black folks. And then, you know, Christy, we talk a lot about our favorite president. Um, LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson in the Great Society. And I am curious about why and how Biden is trying to go big in this moment. And I think your question is right. Is it big enough? And will it make a difference? And so I'm super ready to dig into all three of these.
1: Exactly. Well, as always, the, our main uh, question, comment and concern is, what is in it for us as Black folks? And so that's what we'll get into today. So, Dory, before we get into the main topics, I do want to acknowledge the passing of Shock G. Rest in power.
0: 1857,
1: you know, we lost Gregory Jacobs, charismatic uh, leader of Digital Underground, a rapper, a producer, introduced all of us to Humpty Dance. He was also known as Humpty Hump. Uh, He was found uh, dead in Tampa last Thursday. They still haven't released why he's passed but it's just been so hard these mm. past few weeks for people who love hip hop uh, for black people of our generation who mm-hmm. grew up with you know we talked about DMX and yeah. the impact that he made on us we talked about Black Rob and the impact he had on us and now we have Humpty and so you know as a as a PSA I've talked about the lead, leading cause of death for black men ages 45 mm-hmm. to 64 26% die of heart disease 20 almost 22% die of cancer almost 10% unintentional injuries, uh, almost 5% of stroke. We don't know what -hmm. what Shock G passed away from, but it seems like we're losing these very talented, very young black men who made such an imprint on our lives. I just want to check in with you as I know you're a hip hop head. This is heavy. Like this is really heavy.
0: Just in the last 48 hours week, the last week, all the black men killed by police. It's just like death. Death is just, and and in the worst year of our lifetimes, probably, right, in terms of the pandemic, and we know what the pandemic has done to black folk. So it's just a lot, and I do think we have to give ourselves room to grieve and to mourn, as well as to celebrate. And you're right, like 57 is actually young. I'm at an age where I could say that that's young to me. Wow, when Digital Underground came out, it was so original and innovative, like a lot of jazz influence, lots of horns, and funk. a play, and a funk, definitely the funk, right? And and just the playfulness of like the the whole Humpty Hump persona. I, I think Digital Underground has been underestimated, actually.
1: Absolutely, and I think that this will be a moment to reflect on the contribution. Obviously. Digital Underground introduced us to two, a young Sh- Tupac Shakur, but they also made us dance. And like so yes. much of hip hop is missing yes. dance, right? Kid and Play yes. had us dancing. Puffy had us dancing yes. at a certain point in time. This was a group that actually had us moving our bodies and yes. celebrating this joyousness that I think in some ways is missing from hip hop now. Yes, I sound like an old person where like, these kids <laughs> today don't have us dancing like we used to. But I do think that in this grief and this mourning period where we are as black Americans, we need to put on these tracks that had us moving our bodies yes. and celebrating the bi-coastal blackness as yes. well. I mean, we can't forget that
0: With are all the, if you issues. just think of it, and if you think of sampling as citations, with the yes. citations of black musical genius. Yes. Right?
1: Uh, so, uh, as with all things in this podcast, I want our listeners to think about uh, honoring Shock G by either putting on some digital underground or putting on some sort of funk soul R and B music that makes you move your body. As you think about what is in it for us. Okay, Dorian, we need to talk about your dear friend, Caitlin Jenner. That, that's not Who my friend. It was decided that she was to run for governor of California. So we know Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom is in a touch of hot water. There are enough signatures. A recall will happen. Uh, it seems like California politics is about to get very interesting. Mm. <laughs> Kamala Harris left just in time. And so as Governor Newsom, is dealing with his own political turmoil, and we know that Democrats will either shore up around him or start to distance themselves from him and start to look at new leadership on the Democratic level, Caitlyn Jenner has taken upon herself as a a socially liberal, fiscally conservative candidate Mm. who was a Trump supporter died in the wool Trump supporter, and has actually hired quite a few former Trumpites to work on her campaign as she makes this bid for governor. And I trust your political instincts uh, exponentially. What do you say about Caitlyn Jenner wanting to follow the likes of Ronald Reagan and Arnold Schwarzenegger and these Hollywood types who don't know much about politics or policy and try and become governor of the largest state in the United States? (laughs)
0: Um, All, you know, good luck, Caitlyn Jenner. I think in terms of trans visibility, good thing, but I can think of five bad things. One, what are the qualifications for governor of one of the largest states in the country, and I think it's the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world, what is Caitlyn Jenner's qualifications to govern? Period. Like, can we just, like, so in the story right there, you're not even qualified, you're not qualified. And just because you're a celebrity and you've, rocked, you've walked some red carpets doesn't make you qualified to be governor of California.
1: Right. Two, I don't even know if it makes you qualified to be mayor of Calabasas, to be I quite mean, honest.
0: L- what, l- and l- let's actually start there. How about you run for mayor first? And like, let's show, let's see a record of governance before you're just gonna, ju- I mean, just run for president in that case. Like, number two... Um, I need you to have voted in all the previous elections. Don't like you can't <laughs> well, does even she show have up Andrew, to vote? Andrew Yang
1: syndrome. Yes. I want to I run for an office that hey. I've never bothered to vote. I, I don't
0: even show up to vote. So, but you want, but then you want people to vote for you. No, no, no. Thank you. And then mm-hmm. three, and here's the most important part for me, Chrissy. Um, you cannot square the circle, so to speak, of all the former Trumpies. So you're gonna go out and hire up. The people that were the inner circle of not only the worst president in American history, not only the president that sparked an insurrection on this country and you're going to grab up all of his inner circle folks. I am done. Yeah. And like, no, no, there is a line and like, no, no, no. That is unacceptable behavior.
1: Well, I think what you bring up is really important for what we talk about in political science as this descriptive versus substantive representation, because first things first for trans visibility, I think descriptively, yes, Caitlyn Jenner has done a lot. So have several other folks, Janet Mock, for instance, right? Uh, Laverne Cox, for instance. I mean, they have done so much descriptively, but they've also done a lot substantively, So yes, there's trans visibility, but they're also talking about inclusion, talking about what's going on in high schools, talking about sports, like talking about how we can think about trans visibility in a much more equitable and democratic way. Caitlyn Jenner, so yes, descriptively, sure, you represent a member of the trans community. Substantively, You are the antithesis of everything we would want because you were literally giving money and hiring the same people who helped write these anti-trans bills across the country. Like I am baffled, befuddled, and bemused by this woman's inability to sort of have any sort of understanding of her placement in politics besides this need for either attention or just wanting this job for what? Because she sees that Governor Gavin Newsom is in a weakened position. And so I think that, to me, is I think all those Trump people should be relegated to the dustbin of history and shamed if they are tarred and feathered. And the fact that she's going to excavate them in the state of California, when we know we're grappling with a lot of not just environmental issues, immigration issues, It's such a large state. We obviously would have a larger number of the LGBTQ plus community. We've got Northern California, which is one of the birthplaces of the LGBTQ plus community. Like I am so disgusted by her candidacy because of her attachment to Trump, even though she distanced herself, but now is like completely embedded. And so I I really just hope that Democrats can get themselves together and organize, which is your specialty, organize themselves to come up with a cohesive message that, that isn't anti-trans. Obviously, I don't think that Democrats are that, but going to your very point, let's just ask the basic question that deflates this whole thing. What are your qualifications? Period, got it. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: now that we're moving into society and thinking about these things and interacting with people and debating with folks, my concern is, and you brought this up with police, but we have so many gun laws that are in front of the Supreme Court and uh, in front of judges across the country that goes back to this, this idea of Trumpism, the Second mm-hmm. Amendment, to, mm-hmm. to have a gun and carry a gun is to be an American. And we've also had people who've been trapped inside of their homes for a year, many of them without mental health uh, support, many of them who've had a year to think about all the things that they are and are not. And they're emerging into society shooting up the joint. Mm-hmm. And I'm really concerned about where we were before we went on lockdown and we mm. saw that we had these mass shootings almost one after the other. And that was before a global pandemic. That right. was before people lost their jobs and their money and didn't really understand where they fit into the world. This is before we had a black woman, Indian child of immigrants as a vice president, right? I mean, this is before they saw like, oh, an insurrection, you can storm the Capitol and probably not even spend a night in jail. Like all these people have been sitting and festering and they seem to be emerging. Like I want to kill Asians and Muslims and immigrants and black people. The folks who want to kill black people seem to be on the police department by and large, Mm -hmm. but we still see it happening. And so this, I don't have agoraphobia, but I don't know what the cousin is because- I want to be out and about, waxed and waxed. However, I feel like this country is just like, the the world is looking at us like, so y'all just give mentally unstable people guns. Like you won't let them vote, but you'll let them walk around with a gun and just like roll into Times Square from Ohio. And luckily we caught them, but a loaded, you know, weapon that can kill hundreds of people in minutes. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where I am. And it's so often and so frequent, we don't even honor, Mm -hmm. the deaths the way we used to. I mean, that, what went down in Vegas years ago where a few hundred people were shot, what, 60-something were killed, but a few hundred people were injured. It was like, that was barely a week. We don't even memorialize that. So, I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, you're in D.C., you will have slightly different laws. You're from Chicago, though, that has some bonkers, you know, conceal and carry laws. New York is trying to inch toward that. I mean, I don't want to know what a city of 9 million people looks like where people can just carry guns.
0: As you know, we have more guns than people in this country. Mm-hmm. And then it begs the question, are we safer? No, no. <laughs> because we can't even beat a pandemic, right. much less stop gun violence. And I, I am, as you know, Chrissy, I'm a new parent. So I have a different lens into Shout this. Shout out to my
1: goddaughter. <laughs> um,
0: you know, I, I imagine the day when I have to send my daughter to school. Mm -hmm. and as a parent now I have expectations around learning and safety and so I go back to school shootings and it terrifies me to know that you know I will be releasing my daughter out into the world into a school that is supposed to be the safest place imaginable Mm -hmm. for children outside of the home and the notion that I will still have to worry daily about some teenager that gets easy access to a gun, it's easier to buy a gun than to vote in a whole bunch of states, as we know. What what does that say about the health and state of our society and our country? Mm-hmm. And let me just say this, it's not like, I don't see a whole bunch of black folks out there talking about my second amendment right. So mm-hmm. there is a racialized dimension to this that I do think is rooted in, let me just say like this, um, a white supremacist culture um and patriarchal culture because men let's be real um right. mostly that's that's about like i don't know there's just so much psychological stuff like it's like i need to protect myself and my family and this is the, it's just like huh what are you talking about and yes i and i'm not dismissing right that there is a gun violence problem for sure in black communities i'm not dismissing that in terms of you know teenagers who get easy access to guns too. But we, there's like a fundamental question we have to ask ourselves as a country around like, what, is, what does safety look like? What is public safety to bring policing back in? How do we reimagine public safety? And then like, why do why does anyone in the 21st century actually need a gun? And I don't, and I'm like over the whole, oh, I like to hunt thing yeah okay fine you could go do that you don't even need a gun for that you like get a paint gun or something right there's just like i just think we need to have a radically different conversation about guns in this country that is um that flips the script on the second amendment because that has been the crutch of folks for a lot for way too long and i think we just need to have a radically different conversation about gun violence and what's called gun safety in this country
1: if Black folks, like, should black folks just start buying up guns? Because yeah. that is when you yeah. know the courts yes. were like, you know what? Time all the way out. Because after Sandy Hook, when those twenty six in, you know, innocent little white babies were murdered in the middle of the day, I was No substantive gun control that was passed. Yep. No real legislation. I was like, we're all doomed because mm-hmm. if if middle class white children can be murdered yes without anyone batting an eye then what does that mean for the rest of us and i and i'm Mm. curious as to how we untangle this ar 50 51 57 gun issue with you know sort of pistols and rifles and shotguns and people who love to hunt with their dads i get that culture but like in cities and it's not even just happening in cities anymore it's suburbs it's rural areas Folks are just wiling out. And I think this is just the beginning of a conversation. But I'm curious if members of the Muslim community, Black folks, working class, Latinx folks, if all of us were like, oh, okay, so it's Second Amendment. Let's do it. Let's to get our
0: military-grade it. weapons because that's what because that's, that's what we apparently need on the streets. Is a I'm military curious grade as
1: weapon. to no. how swiftly we would move yep. or if we would see just even more police-sanctioned killings. So that's that. And I guess I'll have to have you back on soon so we can... <laughs> kind of follow the story because i think it's 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 mind-boggling but at the end of the day it's really actually not that complicated because as you said it's latent with sort of this white patriarchal white supremacist notion of who's really an american and who gets to defend her uh Mm -hmm. you know arm to the teeth speaking of which as we try and defend this nation part of defending the nation is protecting its citizenry and building a social safety net that republicans rip out from underneath yeah. working class people every single time they're, they get elected. I don't understand why this pendulum swings and nobody seems mm. to, to care. Republicans get elected. They give tax breaks to the rich on some nonsensical Reaganomics trickle-down theory that never happens. If I give rich people all of their money back, maybe they'll spend some money and poor people will somehow miraculously get crumbs off of the ground. Democrats then come in and it's like, oh, great. Now you've sold off all of our jobs. We have no education. Housing stock is terrible. Transportation is terrible. The environment is out the window. So now we've got to put all this money back into the economy to try and make sure people can just barely survive. Our Republicans are like, see, you guys like spending money. It's like, no, you guys like- keeping They like spending money, money
0: too. Exactly. Giving
1: it to your friends. And then also you love a good war, right? Which costs a lot of money. Oh wait, that makes all of your friends extra money. Looking at you, entire Bush administration. So- Where are you on? I know that you work with social service organizations Mm -hmm. that provide the social safety net to women, children, Latinx, black, native, indigenous folks across the country. How's Biden doing? Is he doing enough? We're talking Mm -hmm. trillions. I mean, I don't blink an eye because I'm like, we were spending what, a billion dollars a day on Afghanistan and a billion dollars a day on Iraq. So like don't clutch your pearls and all of a sudden act like money is money now. Like we can just print some more, clearly, because y'all did it before. So is this money even enough when we talk about money towards educators and infrastructure and all of the things that he's listed uh, yeah. as part of his agenda?
0: You know, I will say, I, I have been pleasantly surprised with how big and bold this administration and Congress, frankly, and the Democratic Congress, have what they put on the table and said, we are making these investments. We're going to give people relief right now, whether it's unemployment or food stamps or preventing evictions, we're going to give people help and we're going to set the stage for let's call it a new social contract for the 21st century, right? So that people actually have enough to survive and maybe even thrive. And so I do think what they put on the table is a good first step. It does harken back to Franklin Roosevelt. It harkens back a little bit to Lyndon Baines Johnson. Now, I think actually the hard question is a very nerdy political science question, Chrissy, and that is implementation. Now, The the president has put forth an an ambitious, really exciting plan around the child tax credit. This is something that every parent potentially could receive. It's about 250 or $300 a month. And it would cut child poverty and especially black child poverty in half. That's huge. But the Mm -hmm. problem is I've already talked to members of my family who don't even know about it. So Mm -hmm. how are folks gonna actually get their money, so to speak, and I mean that for real. Get your money, folks earned income tax credit, child tax credit, um, holler at me if you want help navigating. Like how do you get, this is your tax right. money that you're getting back. That could make a huge difference. Um, let me give you, let me make it real. Um, if you are living in poverty and you're relying on food stamps, the SNAP program, mm-hmm. you can't buy diapers with SNAP. Right, which you is absolutely the You can't buy diapers. So diapers are expensive. I know, I change a few of them a day. So. This is like a huge, potentially um, game-changing set of policies and investments. And by the way, the, all the stuff around childcare, the child tax credit, super important because the most important time in a child's development is zero to five. Right. So if we make these investments now, we will see the fruits of that a generation right. later, right? So this is like the long game.
1: but Which I- Republicans don't believe in
0: don't believe in because they just want to hoard wealth right and build a fortress around themselves as if they're disconnected from the rest of society which is what they would read
1: a history book because the french thought that they could do that and guess what you starve the poor the only thing they have left to eat are the rich so don't do that don't do it
0: exactly so i do think um you know to go back to the nerdy point it does come down to implementation Mm -hmm. and and i don't mean like the obama administration was not
1: good at right? right like when they when they had their america back to work rediscovery act Stimulus. I mean, it had 17 different yes. names. People didn't even know that Obama was helping them out. It's like or the, the articulation care Act. of the idea. Yes.
0: Yes. So right. how do we how is this going to be implemented? What are the resources, frankly, that can go to community organizations on the ground that help connect people to unemployment insurance or food stamps or the child tax credit or child care subsidy so people like can actually have affordable options for child care or the range of other benefits that create, I would say, a civilized society. I mean, at the end of the day, um, a lot of commentators and pundits have been saying, oh, this is great, it reduce poverty. Like, I'm an abolitionist when it comes to poverty. No one should be right. living in poverty in the richest country in the history of the world.
1: Right. Well, not when you have someone like Jeff Bezos who doesn't pay his taxes and he's made almost a trillion dollars. Like, we get it, you won capitalism. Ding <laughs> dong, you get a gold medal. Pay your fair share. Because I feel like, you know, we're, exactly. you're saying exactly. that we could, possibly eliminate child poverty by 50%, which is amazing. However, why aren't we demanding 100%?
0: Thank you. Exactly.
1: Like To exactly. me, it's like, well, if we're going to be bold. Like, if you're going to be a monkey, be a gorilla, right? So like, let's do it. If we're going mi- to eliminate this poverty, let's go ahead and do it. But we have to also start looking at folks. It's like, and for it to happen, you got to pay up. Because it doesn't make sense that I'm technically paying more than Jeff Bezos in taxes every year. Um,
0: does makes no sense.
1: Personal and, and professional. exactly. So I think that, you know, that's also the devil's gonna be in the details where, you know, Republicans are always like, well, I don't know where we're gonna get this money. You all like puppies and rainbows. It's like, get your friends to pay what they're supposed to pay.
0: What is the role of government in the 21st century? Now the right and conservatives have done, frankly, a very good job the last 40 years, our entire lifetimes of demonizing the role of government. Remember when Reagan launches his campaign in 1980, he says, the problem is government. No, 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 no. So enough of that, let's bury that. The problem is not, government. actually the problem is the market. And the market is not working out for most of us. If you look at black unemployment, if you look at housing discriminate, like we can go down the list. So I do think this is a moment and it's linked frankly to voting rights and the effort to suppress the vote. Because what we know historically in re- during reconstruction, when black folks got the right to vote, the federal government came in and played a role. That's how we got public schools built for the first time in the South. Right. So like and that was a long term investment in infrastructure that benefited a whole lot of folks. So I do think this is all connected in terms of who belongs in this country, who has political rights as a citizen and who's allowed to vote. And then what are the collective choices we are making around investment in people and infrastructure that we need to tell a new story about what kind of country society we need to be creating that, frankly, empowers black people in this country.
1: Right, and as with all things on this podcast, as we think about what's in it for us, that's the crux of the question though, Dorian, because we've never been able to answer whether or not Black people are ever going to be able to be full and inclusive citizens in this country. Because every single policy action that you just listed, there has been an equally and even more detrimental reaction. So yes, there's the building of public schools, but then we saw that pendulum swing around, then we had Brown v. Board, and we've been fighting sort of the shadow of Brown v. Board and black children going to school with little white girls since 1954. So I think that, you know, all of these things are interconnected. Hopefully you'll come back. I'd love and to come back any time, Professor Greer. For us. Thank you so much. Okay, so Dorian, what are you up to? What's going on with you next? What should we be looking out for?
0: I am up to trying to first be a father and a good father, and second, to get a whole bunch of parents like me their money. That's what I'm up to. So we are working with um, grassroots community organizations around the country to not only inform people like this thing called the child tax credit, like what is it? Get your cash, especially, let me say it this way. It's basically a guaranteed income for kids. Like Mm -hmm. would $250 a month, monthly, help you provide for your kids? That is what we're up to. We're organizing hopefully thousands if not millions of people to get their money and to make the program permanent. So be on the lookout for that. I'm gonna be blowing up (laughs) my social media on this. Like, get your money, folks, get your money. And then we need you, but then we need you in the fight though, right? We need people to show up in 22, in November for the midterm elections. We like need people to stay engaged. And by the way, outside election cycles, need you to still show up at the protests because they're still killing us on the streets. So, um, so, Look for me to start to get people engaged and keeping the yeah. pressure on because the backlash is already here.
1: Right.
0: These white folks are not playing. Um and the Trumpers are just they might be hibernating right now, but they will be back. So we need we need more and more people in the fight.
1: Yeah, they're like two year cicadas. Well, I mean, yes. listen, yes. we need to get our James Brown multiple jobs on and our cash money brothers <laughs> to make sure we get our loot. Dorian, thank you so much for coming on. Thank in Chrissy Greer.
0: Promise it's me been you'll a come pleasure. back. I'll come back anytime. It's been a pleasure.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to What's In It For Us. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegrio.com. The What's In It For Us podcast is brought to you by The Griot, an executive produced by Blue Telusma and co-produced by Abdul Kudus and Antonio Thompson.